0: Hello and welcome to another mini Today, we're talking in more detail about the threats facing rural hospitals, in particular when it comes to financial stability, especially in this post-pandemic world. I'm Rachel Lott.
1: And I'm J.G. Hodshire,
0: And this is Rural Health Rising. So, JJ, last week, we talked about the myriad of headlines that we're seeing related to financial losses facing hospitals across the country. Um, Even since then, we've seen additional headlines, a a hospital CFO in New York, uh, their hospital is facing a $7 million loss and has come out asking for the government to intervene um, and support funding for hospitals at this point in time. Um, But, you know, as we talked about that, we talked about market forces, labor forces, but also kind of as we closed last week, um, you know, you mentioned the government has to get involved Mm -hmm. at some point and on some level and not necessarily as an advocate for big government. But, you know, this is not something that can be treated like the free market. Right.
1: Absolutely. So an uh, interesting fact, uh, Rachel, you know, you opened the with a statement regarding, you know, some of the headlines. And, and I noted with interest, uh, even since our last podcast, uh, the number of hospitals that in the past week that have closed uh, their either month or their quarter out with significant financial losses. Another hospital that we heard of uh, just a few days ago. Uh, Not too far from here, a big system, Uh, you know, $243 million loss. Uh, It's incredible. Yeah, these losses cannot be sustained. Uh, They just simply cannot. And when you look at what is happening in our industry, you know, everything we talked about last episode was about all of the market, you know, forces. We talk about whether it's the inflation or whether it's the labor force or whether it's just the lack of patients coming through the emergency department or on the inpatient side. You know, all of that is contributing to these posted quarters of significant financial losses. But the losses have never been this great. And right. something, you know, something is uh, is definitely wrong with the healthcare system when you start losing, you know, $243 million. And some places uh, in the last quarter, we're losing 10, 15, $20 million a month. Uh, you annualize that out and you cannot sustain that. The hospital right. only has so much day's cash on hand, and therefore that will mean a loss of your community hospital. So we did talk about uh, last time about the critical nature of getting involvement from, you know, the federal government, uh, from the state governments. And I think what has echoed loud to me uh, in the past week through these articles is that it's not just one particular segment of healthcare. It's not just the rules. It's not right. it's everybody. I mean, the system that I'm referencing is a huge conglomerate system. They have, you know, facilities throughout various states. Uh, They own a major, major market in nursing homes and, and they're posting, you know, losses that are greater, their losses are greater than an operating budget of most hospitals. And obviously that is concerning because of the sheer volume of the losses. Now, one of the things, Rachel, we talked about was, you know, these unrealized gains, you know, as it relates to your investments and those type of things, take those out. Even right. with those out, right? We're, right? What we're talking about is operating losses. Mm-hmm. Another word.
0: Factoring, factoring in the stock market with oh. this. Now, that obviously for most hospitals is also part of it does. the bottom line, but that's not what's being affected in the same way as uh, you know operating margins. They're both critical to financial solvency, sure. but yeah. operating margins is where we're really looking because this is where non-rural hospitals are feeling the heat much more than we've seen before but it's everyone at the same time which is it i think is. what makes this unique it's not just well this one hospital in this one state or this one community is struggling it's you know headline after headline and they're all over the place
1: you know what and in what's amazing and i and so there's a part of me that says it's about time that this issue is no longer an issue of rural health right you know because you and i have been beating the drum for years about how rural hospitals have to receive some uplift or some support to be able to provide the care in their community now now let's let's trace that a little bit so one might say well why is it the government's responsibility for healthcare and why why would they be responsible let's just consider what would happen in a community like ours small 47,000 residents in our community if we were to lose our healthcare. We, we know without a doubt that the health outcomes would be worse and that the comorbid conditions of our existing community members would not be addressed. Mm-hmm. That that well care that we talk about wouldn't even be existent. Uh, it would be urgent or emergent care, and it wouldn't even be here. It would be at some other place. And right. so the the community gets sicker, right? Mm-hmm. And the health outcomes are worse and attracting people for business and industry is almost impossible without good healthcare. So you add all those factors in, and then you look at it like, okay, maybe there needs to be some type of government uplift or involvement. And Rachel, it is to no surprise, the government's been working in and with healthcare uh, for decades.
0: Right, right. This is for rural in particular, I mean, there are a number of different things that have been done over time to help support rural hospitals, um, smaller hospitals. And we've talked about a lot of those different things on this podcast before. Um, And, you know, on some level, I kind of feel like, okay, we've got a lot of different approaches that, some work for some places, but we still have an overall problem and the trend hasn't changed. So maybe I guess the trend would have become worse, but it it hasn't gone away and it hasn't gotten better in terms of rural hospital closures. And now we are coming out of the pandemic. We're seeing we're not the only ones, which tells you something about the healthcare industry as a whole, and also says... It's even worse for us because we, first of all, we live in this world, but that's when the industry is doing okay. But when the whole industry is struggling, then we who were already struggling struggle even more. And rural, and then you have very complicating issues, like what we're going to, you know, spend most of our time talking about today is certain rules changing with Medicare from CMS. And a great example of that really hit home here for Hillsdale Hospital just last week as we were, you know, reviewing our budgets for next year and our financials. And the low volume adjustment for Medicare is set to expire on October 1st, right?
1: Yeah, and, and it's huge for, you know, hospitals our size to... Have programs in place that will give us certain uplifts, as we call it. And Medicare has, since about I believe 2005, had what's called a low volume adjustment. And you know CMS basically provides an additional payment uh, for inpatient cases that qualify um, for hospitals that have higher incremental cost associated with low volume of discharge. So, you know, we're not discharging high volumes of patients like my competitors are in bigger systems. Mm-hmm. Um, but in order to qualify for this adjustment, as they call it, a hospital has to meet certain criteria. And right. that's, you know, that's important. And And so what happened is uh, through fiscal year 20, uh, 2005 and uh, 2010, so you had about a five-year stretch there, and then uh, fiscal year 23, Um, and subsequent years thereafter, a hospital must have fewer than 200 total discharges, which includes Medicare and non-payment discharges. So uh, during that fiscal year, less than 200 discharges based on a hospital's most um, re- recent uh, cost report summary. Um, and the other requirement is that it had to be located more than 25 road miles from the nearest hospital. So mm-hmm. so these things, you know, th- that's a concern because we have more than 200 total discharges. And so right. what happened is uh, for fiscal year 11 through 18, what happened is um, it was stated that a hospital must have fewer than 1,600 Medicare discharges uh, through the fiscal year and be located more than 15 road miles from the nearest hospital. And then what changed for us was this particular number and for many hospitals Um, fiscal year 19 through 21. So just remember, between, let me go back, between you know 2005 and 2018, Mm -hmm. this was being evaluated every year. And in 2019, the government said, we're not gonna wait to the 11th hour in that 11th month or even the 12th month and make the determination, are we going to apply the um, LVA? And so what happened is in 2019, they made a determination that this is going to be for three years. And so that's why we haven't really heard about it in the last few years because we knew it was set to expire a further, you know, way out than it was, let's say, back in 2018 mm-hmm. when it was done every year. So right. 19 comes, we all feel this, you know, this relief. Uh, we know that we don't have to worry about 20 and 21, but then 22 comes and we're like, uh-oh, we need to start goes. asking this question. Yeah. yeah. So so between fiscal year 19 and, and 22, um, a hospital must have fewer than 38 total 3800 excuse me total discharges. So so we've gone from the 200 original, okay, mm-hmm. which we would have never met. Right. Those are for I mean you're talking we would we would never come close to that. Right. Then between 11 and 18 it's fewer than 1600 Medicare and then uh discharges and then 19th or 22 that's when we saw uh, this increase to 38, which helped hospitals like ours. And not only uh, it includes Medicare and non-Medicare discharges. So that's where it's helpful uh, during that fiscal year. And then the same miles uh, requirement is on there as well, which is m- located more than 15 miles from your nearest hospital. And so places like Hillsdale and and my colleagues around the state, we qualify because we're, we're greater than 15 miles away from other mm-hmm. facilities. But what we enjoyed about 2019 through current is that this formula had changed, and it's it's looking at more of a generous uh, LVA where the discharges are higher, which means that reimbursement would come to our hospital. So what what we're hearing, you know, last month is, whoa, if they do not extend this under what we witnessed in nineteen to twenty two um, with the thirty eight hundred discharges, that it two things could happen number 1 it could be you know just totally gone or it could revert back to the original LVA which is right. less 200 or less discharged as
0: opposed to what's referred to as the enhanced LVA Correct. which is what we're under Correct. right now with those higher And numbers.
1: that's exactly you're exactly right Rachel so we're under the enhanced and if if the enhanced goes away and there in the enhancement is lost for that additional discharges then we wouldn't qualify as well as i would anticipate you know a majority of the hospitals uh, who need this low volume adjustment because our costs obviously are higher we have higher incremental costs associated with the lower volume of discharges so we're not discharging 20,000 people like some big systems are in our area we're discharging you know uh, fewer than 3,000 you know discharges um so that helps us but if it if if the enhancement goes away uh and you end up with either the original language which could be 200 or fewer we're done mm-hmm. and or if it even reverts back to the 1600 back as we saw between 2011 and 2018 that still mm-hmm. would impact us so so that's huge and you might say well why is that important jj because Programs like this at the federal level, you know, we call it the uh, low volume adjustment. But at at the state level, we have things called OB stabilization fund. Mm -hmm. You know, because we have a high Medicaid, you know, uh, population and we know that the live births are not going to be proportionate to, you know, bigger systems, then we get certain reimbursements to provide that service in a rural community like ours where we otherwise could not afford to do it. So when the government begins to talk about, and whether it's a state or federal level, taking these reimbursements away when we're already operating on a, you know, 0% margin, to take away a, per- a percentage of your revenue, it has significant consequences. And for in this particular matter, for Hillsdale, this represents $800,000.
0: Yeah, it's huge, and it's huge that's eight hundred thousand dollars of you know what's when you say operating a margin of on a margin of zero, that takes yeah. us from a break even year to a loss of eight hundred thousand dollars. It's not just oh yeah. well, our our uh, profit for the year is going to decrease. It's no, we're going to go from slightly profitable or break even to potentially losing money in that year.
1: Well, yeah. And they say, oh, JJ, you're going to get a Medicare adjustment. You're going to get that 3%. Yeah. Okay. 3%. But guess what happens? So we get 3%. Oh, wait a minute. Sequestration's back. Take 2% away from that. Right. So there's 1%. one percent. Folks with inflation already near eight, probably double digits in the very near future with the cost of energy and the cost of supplies and the requirement to pay your staff more and to pay for labor cost you know for travelers the reality of it is a 1% margin with all of those expenses equals failure for hospitals across the United States of America and so it has taken issues like what has occurred in the last financial quarter for the big systems for i believe there to be some awareness now we are always in the background Rachel chirping you know rule 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 but it's going to be interesting Since these big systems are posting so many losses and you're hearing about even more into the very near future, it will be very interesting to see how much attention we're going to get on this issue now. Now, I'm not opposed to having the bigs come in and advocate, but maybe that's what we needed.
0: You know, See, I mean, yeah, yeah. Th- that's the whole thing. Like, as we said, you know, we're not the only ones this time. And, you know, part of me in a very, um, you know, defensive and kind of sassy way wants to be like, yeah, now you know what it feels like. Welcome to right? our world. Yeah. Welcome to our world. Um, and, you know, for us, I think the you often hear for people who are not necessarily supportive of additional funding for rural hospitals, you hear, well, you guys just don't know how to budget or you need to budget better. We need to budget better. We're not the ones paying our CEOs millions and millions of dollars Absolutely. a year for a human Absolutely. services industry, Absolutely. you know? So like, I'm thinking, hey, so 243 million you guys lost. Okay. How many of your uh, executives can you take from multiple millions of dollars to just 1 million? Let's just get them down to 1 million. Absolutely. How's Absolutely. that going to help you out?
1: Or, Let's talk about bench strength. Why don't you, you know, honestly, if well, you're looking yeah, at, right. how it about up, you, you guys
0: try to do more with less?
1: How <laughs> you about you have four us? different
0: things that, behind your name and as part or of twelve your
1: title. like <laughs> you or twelve like you or mm-hmm. you end up with all right. Our bench strength is we have the CEO and the CEO took the responsibility of the chief and uh, operating officer. Uh, you took on responsibility of five other. Let's talk about bench strength. All right, right. cut your costs there, I guess. But or begin advocating that it needs to be equal across the entire system. It's not like, oh, let the littles fend for themselves. And I think that's, right. that's. Not, I don't think that has been the mentality. Well, yes. if you don't like it, just join us through a merger or an acquisition, JJ. You know, that's just how you're going to get access to capital and how you're going to say, no, you are not going to get healthcare on that scale. It's right. not going to happen. We're community not going
0: to get to your negative $243 million worth of capital. Absolutely. Either, because also when that happens, who suffers within that system? Yeah. Yeah right absolutely. where where does the real where are is everyone really going to start feeling the heat you know
1: no you're absolutely right rachel and and so for all of those reasons we say well it's about time that maybe some of the the larger systems who have a lot more you know, they can bring a lot more to the table. They have a lot more authority. They have a lot more pull with the congressional leaders and, and, and with the state leaders. Maybe, okay, maybe it took this uh, to bring that awareness. But just remember, if you're out here listening to this podcast and you're one of the big health systems, don't forget about your rural hospitals because uh, at the end of the day, we, we the rural hospitals, are the ones taking care of the sickest among us. We're the ones dealing with 70% payer mix of Medicaid, Medicare, high percentage of Medicaid in general. Uh, we're the ones that are you know needing the LVA and the OB stabilization fund and all of those things. So when you go and you lobby, it has to be fair and equitable across the entire healthcare continuum and at every level of healthcare, whether you're big or small. Because I'm going to tell you, if you lose your small hospitals, folks, And you're out there listening as a big system right now, you lose your referral services. You lose the opportunity to get the high end procedures that small hospitals cannot do. So, when we start talking about taking care of those patients uh, in our emergency department, we don't have a cath lab. You know, we don't have a heart center. And so, what we do is we find those places and we send those patients there. And so, this becomes the springboard you know, Mm -hmm. for all of that patient throughput. So don't think that closing your local hospital uh, is going to be the answer to your problems because it's only going to compound it 10 times worse because you're not going to be getting uh, those patients in referral and having them come into the emergency department at the local hospitals and then obviously transported to your facilities. They could go anywhere across the state of Michigan. Then they don't even have to go. Uh, those patients well, they, may not even make it.
0: That's the issue, right, is that those patients may not, have without the stopgap measure of the rural hospitals that are sustaining those patients, In between severe acute events, but also when those severe and emergent things happen, like heart attacks, who's going to stabilize them so they can get to the cath lab?
1: Absolutely. Right. So So it's not even
0: about like, well, because, you know, I could just hear in my ear someone saying, well, yeah, they'll just come to us directly. So then we don't even, you know, we'll get all of it. Not at all. They won't even make it there. Right, right, and the transportation again is an issue. The chronic disease won't be taken care of. I mean, it's no. all it, it's all a domino effect. And, um, and have you
1: have you seen the EMS uh, report across the United States of America? The sheer number of EMTs that are right now uh, not uh, pr- performing their duties because uh, there's a a lack of of uh, EMTs across the United States, and so the problem is you have a lack of response from your your medics, and you have you know, lower number of ambulances than you've ever had in your communities. This is a national problem. So right. so good luck getting them there regardless. Mm-hmm. So so stabilizing them, keeping them here, building relationship with, you know, a smaller hospital. Maybe, maybe in the future, Rachel will have an expert on talking about the important relationship that rules play uh, in, in, in light of, you know, the financial well being of a big system. And I think, you know, I've got an idea who that might be in the very near future. One of our friends from Stroudwater, but Rachel, to, to, to summarize all of this, there's some good news. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think, you know, you've, you have along with me have been spending a lot of our time this week, chasing down some leads. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about what that good news is and what's happening on the horizon in Washington, DC regarding this specific issue?
0: Yeah, so right now, um, when it comes to the low-volume hospital or the the low-volume adjustment, as well as looking at Medicare-dependent hospitals, sole community hospitals, these are various designations that uh, result in additional funding support for rural hospitals based on certain criteria, Um, but Senator Casey from Pennsylvania and Senator Grassley from Iowa uh, have introduced the Rural Hospital Support Act, which we as Hillsdale Hospital are very supportive of. The National Rural Health Association is very supportive of it, um, as well as various other organizations. But essentially, this act is designed to ensure that rural hospitals stay fiscally solvent, prevent them from closing by making sure that these federal programs that we rely on don't just disappear. So I want to give you some numbers on these too, so people can kind of understand what is the real impact of this. So without looking at how many hospitals would end up losing the low-volume adjustment like us if the enhancements were to expire, just mm-hmm. looking at how many low-volume hospitals are there across the country, 634. Yeah. There are 174 Medicare-dependent hospitals and 464 sole community hospitals. So we're getting close to talking about most rural hospitals in the United States that fit into one of these categories or have one of these types of funding supports through these federal programs. So what, again, what would the Rural Hospital Support Act do? It would make permanent permanent, not review it every year or extend it. It would make permanent the enhanced low-volume Medicare adjustment for small rural hospitals that are under the prospective payment system. So that's different than, for example, a critical access hospital, which is paid in a different way. Um, the PPS hospitals are probably the ones that tend to um, struggle the most, kind of can can be in that middle area of we don't have the extra benefit of the type of funding that comes with a critical access hospital. So we're competing in the same way from a structure perspective as the larger hospitals. Um, So again, low volume adjustment is really important. It levels the playing field for hospitals in smaller or more isolated communities because operating costs just tend to outpace revenue. Your economies of scale only go so far. Um, It would also update the year that sole community hospitals and medicare dependent hospitals are basing their operating costs do you know right now those hospitals for their federal program reimbursements they are having to base their operating costs on fiscal year 2012 yeah yeah it's 10 years ago not and not counting the most recent increases based on the severe inflation that we're seeing now in 2022. So it would uh, change that year from 2012 to 2016. Yes. So that way their reimbursement estimates are closer to more recent trends, even though in my opinion, that is still woefully inadequate to try and base it on 2016. Well, yeah. um, but but it's, hey, it's it's better than nothing, right? We got to start yeah, somewhere. It's a good step. It's a good step. Yes, it is. It is. Um, and then it would also make permanent the Medicare-dependent hospital program, which again is ensuring that eligible rural hospitals are getting reimbursed for their costs so they can continue to to serve their communities.
1: Absolutely Rachel And you know what if that doesn't excite you, I don't know what will because that right there, what you have just explained and the work that we have been engaged in, you know lobbying this with our congressional leaders is what's going to save you know, small hospitals and at least help them through this very difficult time um, by not taking away that LVA, by giving them a different uh, cost comparative. And so I it, it for all of those reasons, if you're listening today and you have a congressional leader in your district, I would encourage you to please reach out to them and say, mm-hmm. we need to support the Rural Hospital Support Act. And I'm actually, Rachel, going to reach out to my friends at MHA because I see on the original list uh, that was published by Grassley that uh, our association in Michigan is not listed as one of the supporters. And I'm going to I'm going to reach out to uh, Brian Peters uh, with the MHA and speak with him. And if we have any other hospital associations listening to this podcast, I would encourage you as well to support this legislation. It's very Mm -hmm. important uh, to sustain our rural hospitals in America. And this is critical.
0: Yes. So reach out to your senators on this bill in particular. And then there is also, I do want to mention, the Save America's Rural Hospitals Act in the House that has been put forward by Sam Graves from Missouri and Jared Huffman from California. Um, It also has provisions to extend permanently the increased Medicare-dependent hospital and low-volume hospital payments as well. Um, So we'll do another episode talking about that one, Um, but uh, definitely reach out to your congressional leader. Tell them how important this is and how critical this is. Uh, If you're looking for resources to have some of this information, NRHA has plenty of that available for you. They also have great ways for you to directly contact, without a lot of effort, uh, your uh, government leaders and those who represent you to encourage them to support this and many others. They have a great advocacy system on their website for advocacy campaigns that you can participate in pretty easily, and their website is ruralhealth.us. Thank you for joining us for today's mini-sode. If you have a topic or issue you want us to cover on a future mini-sode, shoot us an email at marketing at hillsdalehospital.com. You can also find Hillsdale Hospital on Facebook and Instagram. Be sure to tune in next week as we talk with an expert on measuring patient experience.
1: And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rule Health Rising. You can also find us now on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO, JJ. Rachel's at Rule Health Rach. And you can also follow our podcast at Rule Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong.
0: Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit RuralHealthRising.com.